Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. It's hard to believe that we're getting through the almost the mid part of June already. Time is really, really flying, as it always is. And that's what makes liturgy and the liturgical calendar of the church for me, and hopefully for you, so much fun, because it is timeless. And I always get excited when the different times, the different periods of the liturgical calendar cycle around. It's always, to me, it's always so fresh, so new, forever new. So ancient, yet so new, as St. Augustine said about our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that is so exciting about it is how we celebrate, how we enter into the mystery of all these different feasts. Now, we're getting into the time which we call, in the Latin Rite Church, it's called Ordinary Time. In the Byzantine Church, it's marked by the different Sundays after Pentecost. So we're a couple Sundays after Pentecost now. And so we mark them, we number them, and they go all the way to about 33 Sundays after Pentecost. Then we go into the pre-Christmas cycle. And in those Sundays that you might want to call ordinary time, they are, as I always say, never just ordinary. But for the most part, or in comparison, they would be somewhat ordinary. In other words, we're not in the very intense seasons that we've come through already, such as Lent and then Holy Week, and then the Feast of the Ascension, and then the Feast of this Pentecost, the past week of Pentecost, and also all saints and all souls, all those really high, intense, comprehensive, beautiful, deeply rich immersions into just the essence of our faith. And that's what's beautiful about liturgy. And liturgy does this, especially in the Eastern churches, it does this through our senses, Sometimes it's referred to as the smells and bells, like people are into the smells and bells, they say, of liturgy, especially those in the Latin rite. It usually refers to the Tridentine Mass or the Old Latin Mass, not exclusively, but most of the time it refers to that because it was very high in its ceremony and used incense and so on, more so than the Novus Ordo does, the Latin rite. And also in the Eastern churches, we, of course, always have the smells and bells. It's always pretty elaborate for us. And there are reasons for this. First of all, 
our faith is real. It's a living thing. And liturgy is what helps us to understand that. And I use this term, which is a very, very significant term in terms of understanding Eastern Christian spirituality. And that term is immersion or participation in. You're participating in something that has a First of all, it's a timelessness to it. It's, there's an ongoing dimension to it. Divinization, theosis, like we're moving in a certain direction, but we do so with a certain, oh, well, in a sense, timelessness. I often get a phone call at my church, especially on the weekends or towards the weekends. Someone will say, what time is mass at your church? And I will say, well, our divine liturgy begins at 10 o'clock. And then the next question, of course, is, well, how long is it? And my answer is, it's timeless. You're most welcome to come. And in fact, liturgy ought to be timeless because it is in itself timeless. It's in what we call kairos time, not chronological or chronos time, where we can mark a specific past, present, future. You know, it's this minute, then the next minute, and so on. Just like you're listening to this radio program right now. You've got a sense of when it began a sense of how long it is, and then when it ends. That's chronos time. That's the time we live in in this world. However, at the same time, we have one foot in kairos time, in the time that is timeless, without time. This is something that happens by virtue, especially, of the liturgy and the iconography. Whenever you see a Byzantine icon, you notice that the background is not a background where it looks like you're looking off into a distance and there's a a one-point perspective like you have in the naturalistic art or the Renaissance art, that magnificent kind of sense of like as if you're looking deep into a distance or up into the sky. If you've ever been to many of the churches, such as in Italy and Rome, the Baroque-style churches, the paintings, you look up into the ceilings, and they have what's called what we would call today a faux effect. In other words, like a fake effect, a fooling you effect visually, because the ceiling could even be flat or it may have some dome to it, but the artist painted it in a way where the perspective looks like there are angels and saints rising up into heaven, as if you're seeing them going off into the distance. It's called an art foreshortening. It's a trick that's used in visual arts to make it look like you're looking at something towards a distance. In the Eastern churches, in the Byzantine iconography, we don't make any kind of background. We usually have a flat color, such as gold, like a solid flat color. Gold or blue, it could be red, it could be, well, quite a few different kinds of colors, but generally they tend to be blue or red, sometimes an ochre color, kind of a yellowish ochre color, like a mustard color, or blue or gold. And you're not restricted to those colors, but those are the most common. And the background is just a flat color, because what it's saying is that you're looking at this person in the icon, whoever is being depicted, Christ, for example, the Virgin Mary, you're looking at them as though they are in heaven. So there is a timelessness, a sort of a lack of the dimensions that we see here on earth. In earth, we look at things in three dimensions, you know, height, width, and depth. And so we portray things in that with those three dimensions. In iconography, we kind of, in a sense, flatten it out. We sort of eliminate that third dimension, and we kind of arrive at a certain dimensionlessness. And that is helped by the fact that the background of the icon is flattened. You, you can't tell where that person, a saint or Christ or whomever, is standing in front of something? Or is it, is it a wall? Is it just space? Is it the sky? Is it close? Is it far? There's no dimension to it, especially when gold is used in the background. And the gold that's used is usually real gold, 23 karat gold. It's 
actually gold that is pounded thin into what we call leaps. They're like little squares that are very, very thin. They can literally float in the air. And they're applied to the surface of the icon, to the background, by means of a certain sizing or kind of a glue. And then the pieces put next to each other are then what we call burnished. Now, you take like a soft cloth or something like that, and you sort of rub it gently across those pieces, and they sort of blend or meld into each other. So it looks like one beautiful flat gold piece in the background. Now, that gives a sense of heaven, of royalty, of kingliness, and also of dimensionlessness. It's gold. Is it gold background? Is it gold that's close, that's far away? Are you looking off into heaven? What are you looking at? Well, we don't know. It's dimensionlessness. And that dimensionlessness, that timelessness, is actually woven through all the architecture of the church, especially when churches are designed and built according to what I call classic church architecture. And that includes a lot of arches and domes, because when arches and domes are in an architecture, they have a way to, well, they have a way to give us a sense of something that's not ending. It's just one arch and dome that goes to the next and the next and the next. And the architects of ancient times were very, very ingenious at developing intersecting domes domes which then in in turn intersect with a cube or a square and this creates what we call pendentes very expansive kind of dome-like shapes so when you stand in these churches it's as if there's no beginning or end even to the architecture it just goes on and on and on one dome moving into the next one arch flowing into the next and that also just to show you how integrated liturgy is that also gives us the sense of timelessness or of an otherworldliness with the acoustics. See how it's all so ingeniously woven together? The visual impact of the intersecting domes gives us a sense of eternity, of something very ongoing, something very different than, for example, our living rooms or an office. But it also gives us a sound that is different. It reverberates. It gives us a large, beautiful sound. And if that's not enough, the architectural motifs that are created by the arches and the intersection of domes with arches and, and with a cube, that then provides a certain space, certain shapes for certain icons. It's as if the architecture is designed for the icon. That's how perfectly wedded together the art architecture is in classic church architecture. And not everything will do. You, got, you have to have this to really get the full sense of liturgy, because liturgy is that participation in the heavenly liturgy. It's a rising up to something very transcendent. It's about a real sense of heaven and earth. And since God designed us in the physical world with five senses, it's so that we can see, hear, taste, smell, touch, things that then reveal the spiritual world. So if you look at something that's very fascinating, very ongoing and complex, such as architecture, if we can see the beauty and color and composition, the balance, the symmetry, the meaning of the icons with our eyes, if we can hear beautiful music, we can smell incense, we can touch things with our mouth, our lips, such as the Eucharist, we can kiss things, we can be anointed with oil on our bodies. When we can experience things through our senses, these things, especially as they are in church, give us a sense of having touched the divine. And that's why not just anything will do in this time of the pandemic where we're gradually moving out of the shutdowns and many churches, such as my own even, are still 
live streaming, and we'll continue to do so even though churches are opening up. As we do watch liturgy on live streaming, notice I said the word watch. It's beautiful. Many people appreciate it. It's a substitute for the inability to actually go to church because of the pandemic, but it's not the same. And it's not meant to be the same, and it should not become a standard. We have to kind of put the genie back in the box a bit. Yes, there is a value for those who are shut in, for those who are, for example, in my church, many people who were born and raised in my church have fond memories of it, moved away. So they're not near their church or even near a Byzantine church. So whenever they watch the liturgy on our live streaming, they're very appreciative of that. As good as all that is, liturgy is about an experience an actual experience with all five senses, and it's very engaging. We throw ourselves into it. We make the liturgy. Liturgy is not something that we watch. That's very important because we live in a time when we're very, very, maybe too visually oriented, but in a passive way. We like to sit and watch things. We're always in front of a screen or something, watching something. Liturgy is not something we watch, although to a certain extent it is, it has that element. It's something we immerse ourselves in totally. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the smells and bells of liturgy. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You're you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, and I hope that you are back into your churches. Hopefully there is up to regular functioning as possible or will be soon, because as we're talking about on this program here today, we do need the smells and bells. We refer to that a lot, the smells and bells, you know, sometimes a little tongue-in-cheek, but the smells and bells of liturgy are essential for our salvation. Oh yeah, they are, because our salvation is about a real, palpable, mystical, physical, real experience of God, of the Holy Trinity, of the life of the Trinity. And because we are human, we, are, we have physicality to us as well as spirituality to us, we have five senses so that our physicality and our spirituality can meet together. And they meet together through our five senses. And this is why things that are depicted as beautiful in the church, they sound beautiful, they smell beautiful, etc. That gives us that experience of the next world, of the invisible world. As St. John Paul II said in his Theology of the Body, the body and it alone makes visible what is invisible. That's the key. And that's what liturgy is all about. So with all of the merits of live streaming for people that need that and so on, live streaming of services, that cannot be the norm. It's something we do because other things may not be possible. The norm has to be that physical, total immersion into the liturgy itself in a church, hopefully correctly designed and appointed so that it's very integrated, that everything comes together to give us that experience of the next life. 
Now, speaking of that, of the smells and bells, the smells can actually be good for our health. That's right. Incense, something we as Byzantine Catholics love very much, as if we can't get enough of it. Sometimes with my altar service, I think they sometimes do it as a secret competition between two of them. They man the censers. And that's a real rite of passage for altar boys in my church. It's like you have, to be, you have to be a veteran altar boy to be on the incense. Otherwise, in the liturgy, you do things like carry candles in procession or icons or, or tend to the doors on the iconostas. But if you're tending to the incense, you've come of age. You're the varsity. So our altar boys love to be appointed to the incense. However, they sometimes have, they think I don't know this, they sometimes have a secret competition between each other because we have two deacons, therefore we have two censors. They see who can make the most smoke. And sometimes we do have to kind of get down on them. And we love smoke in the Byzantine church. We love the fragrance of incense. And for us, what is a lot of incense would be way, way a lot of incense for most Latin Rite Catholics. I always get a kick out of it. Latin Rite Catholics are a little more sparingly about their incense. We in the Eastern churches just kind of, uh, well, we have in sense no limit to it. More is always better. However, there does come a limit when you have to almost cut your way through the incense in the church. And I've been in those positions thanks to our competing altar boys. However, incense, though, can be good for our health. Incense is something that we use because it goes all the way back to biblical times. There were incense offerings in the temple. We have in Psalm 141, the verse, Let my prayer be like incense before you, my uplifted hands as an evening sacrifice or offering. We say that at every Vesper service in the Byzantine church. And we use incense at the Great Vespers and most of all of our other services. But incense became a central part of the church's liturgy, not only because of its symbolism, but also on account of some, well, health or practical benefits. For example, in the Western Church, there's a famous Spanish church of Santiago de Compostela. And medieval Christians, way back when, they actually made a large incense burner. And it was to serve to mask the smell of tired and not-so-clean pilgrims. Remember, they didn't have the kind of running water we have today. They didn't have the kind of access to bathrooms and showers like we do today, nor did they have air conditioning. So they used incense to overcome the fragrance of the pilgrims, shall I say, quote-unquote. But it was also believed that incense had a preventative effect against the plague. Now, does that happen today? Well, recent scientific studies have confirmed that surprisingly... The purifying effects of frankincense, for example, are able to actually clean the air. One study did a study of how the microbiologically contaminated air within a church could be cleansed by frankincense. The results of the study said that the antimicrobial properties of essential oil derived from frankincense, which is a well-known compound uh, that's used traditionally in churches, show that it possesses a clear potential as a natural antimicrobial agent. The results suggested also a possible application of B. carteri EO vapor, an incense fume, as occasional air purifiers in churches. I don't know what B. carteri EO vapor is, but it's in the frankincense. An article on the website Healthline claims that burning myrrh and frankincense reduced airborne bacterial counts by 68%. Did you hear that? An article on the website Healthline 
claims that burning myrrh and frankincense reduced airborne bacterial counts by 68%. Another study looked at frankincense essential oil and how it has anti-inflammation and anti-cancer effects. Now, it's interesting if you think about the three wise men. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the Christ child. Frankincense, I'm kind of into essential oils. Maybe many of you are too. Frankincense is known to have, they say, literally thousands of medicinal healing curative properties. Now maybe I know a little bit more why one of the three wise men brought frankincense to Christ. As for his health, frankincense, furthermore, has been proven to have power to decrease depression. According to the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology, burning frankincense resin from the Boswellia plant activates poorly understood ion channels in the brain to alleviate anxiety or depression. This suggests that an entirely new class of depression and anxiety drugs might be right under our noses. And where? In the liturgy of the church. It has been for centuries. It goes back to the very birth of Christ. Now, too much incense, especially incense that's not real pure, some of them aren't, is not so good for the respiratory system. Yes, of course. However, we have to, of course, monitor that kind of incense. But it could be that there is scientific evidence, enough studies that would provide direct evidence that burning incense could kill viruses such as COVID-19. So maybe church is not such a dangerous place to be or to gather in light of the coronavirus. I'm not saying we pack churches to the gills and breathe on each other. I'm saying that we certainly should not be overly fearful of having a certain number of people in church. And I don't mean 10. I don't know where that number ever came from. There's no scientific basis for that. I mean a reasonable amount of people. Because, especially if we burn frankincense like we should be at liturgy, it could actually help prevent getting germs, especially the coronavirus. And this is what scientific studies are showing. So, Not only do the smells and bells have a smells and bells property, the property of giving us a transcendental sense in liturgy, but it's also very practical and even healthy. You see, the ancients knew a lot of things, a lot of things that I think we forgot. On my property, Annunciation Parish, you can see this on our website by going to byzantinecatholic.com, we have an award-winning sustainable environment and water management master plan for our 10-acre property, which translated simply means a restored prairie. And I've done a lot of research on that prairie as I watch and learn about the plants that grow there, the plants that God put in this region of the world. And as I read, I find out that the prairie plants, the natural indigenous plants of this region, is like an outdoor pharmacy. Every single one of them was used oftentimes for multiple different kinds of ailments. The Native American Indians discovered this. Later on, the pioneers discovered this. Even to this day, Echinacea, which is a natural flower in this region, it grows in other regions too, but it's natural to the Midwest, it's used as a natural antibiotic. Yes, ragwort, things like that used to fight depression. These are natural native plants of this region that can be used medicinally even today. Now we usually mix them with other things, but over the centuries, people somehow knew this. They somehow knew about incense. They somehow knew about a lot of the natural things that God has put on this earth. And they were used for dual purposes, for beauty and for practicality, for health, for making a 
cleaner, more pleasant atmosphere in a church full of pilgrims <laughs> who may not have had a chance to take their Saturday night bath or are not enjoying the conveniences of air conditioning, and so they're perspiring in the church. I think they're perspiring. You should see what priests have to wear, especially years ago, how heavy some of those vestments were. Some of you in the Latin right might appreciate the famous so-called fiddleback vestments. If you've ever seen those, they're largely in museums now today. If you've ever seen those, they, they were filled with gold thread, like metallic thread, and they were gorgeous and beautiful, but they were heavy, almost like the armor of a knight. And think of that in churches where there was no air conditioning. Probably helped in the wintertime because those churches were very cold too. But people long ago knew things that maybe we've lost and have to rediscover. And all of these things, the things of God, the things of nature, God wants us to use to unite our physical selves with our spiritual selves, to unite heaven and earth and give us an experience of the other world as only the art, the architecture, the ritual, the gesture, the prayer of liturgy can do. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer. Thank you for listening on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Radio gives us an opportunity to become part of a larger family. It can be so lonely when we are struggling in our faith or just trying to live our faith on our own. But Catholic Radio connects us to that larger community of faith where we're able to get the support, the encouragement, and the grace that we need to not just struggle on, but to really celebrate all the blessings that God brings into our life through our Catholic faith. Dr. Greg Popchak thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!